Do we see at Groundswell this year, the 26th and 27th of June, close to London, UK? Many friends of the podcast will be there. John Kempf, Abby Rose, Benedict Berzo, Henry Dimbleby, Claire Hill, Russ Carrington, Andy Cato, Tim Coates, and many, many more. See you there. You're listening to the second interview with Geert of Herenboom, who we talked to two years ago. We discuss his recent soil investment fund and how to channel all that energy of local communities that wanting to start their own farm yesterday and not wait until tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of Investing in Regenerative Agriculture, Investing as if the Planet Mattered, a podcast show where I talk to the pioneers in the regenerative food and agriculture space to learn more on how to put our money to work to regenerate soil, people, local communities and ecosystems while making an appropriate and fair return. Why my focus on soil and regeneration? Because so many of the pressing issues we face today have their roots in how we treat our land, grow our food and what we eat. And it's time that we as investors, big and small and consumers, start paying much more attention to the dirt slash soil underneath our feet. In March last year, we launched our Patreon community to make it easy for fans to support our work. And so many of you have joined as a member. We've launched different types of benefits, exclusive content, Q&A webinars with former guests, Ask Me Anything sessions, plus so much more to come in the future. For more information on the different tiers, benefits, and how to become a member, check patreon.com slash regenerative agriculture or find the link below. Thank you. Welcome to a check-in interview with Geert van der Veer, co-founder of Herenboel. We recorded the first episode of the podcast in September 2017, when he had one community-owned farm operating in the Netherlands, with the audacious goal of opening a thousand community-owned farms throughout Europe. I'm very eager to check in with him two years after and how things are going. Welcome back, Geert. Thank you. Hi, Koen. So we are in September 2019, two years after we recorded and released the first podcast we did together. I would love to hear, I mean, I, I know more than a billion things have happened, but could you give a very short summary of where you are right now with Herebo. Okay, <laughs> let's do it very short, but I don't know <laughs> whether it will work. <laughs> don't worry, I will have a lot of questions, but let's try. <laughs> okay, so, okay. Okay. Well, yeah, let's go. I believe last time we had one farm open in the Netherlands, in Boxdol. Uh, at the moment, we're working on over 20 projects all over the country, from Rotterdam, Haarlem, Utrecht, uh, Weert, uh, all over the country, from south to north, from east to west. Up and running are, this moment, as we speak, two farms. But would we have this podcast record about three months, three months later, we would have, I believe, four, five, or six farms because we're uh, running up to deadlines for opening four new farms at the moment. So next season, we will have five or six farms up and running. So that's just for the concept of the Herenboer farm. But in addition, we have been working on our soil fund. The idea is that investors can buy in and the fund will buy land, which will keep it for eternity in the fund. And yes, we have finished the construction. We have already managed to buy land in uh, Weert, the city of Weert, in the province of Limburg, where we can offer a 24 percentage return on investment to the investor. And so this farm is also going to be open this year. So I think that are the two major steps. But let me also brief you shortly on this. <laughs> let me inform you on this. Um, we have been, the concept is going globally. 
like there is a tension uh, from China. We have been in, in China daily. We have been in America, in Africa, countries all over Europe. And there is a lot of interest in what we do. We try to manage that as good as possible. And what we see right now is that we have a, per, a, a person in France who wants to copy, of who wants to bring Hereboer to France. So that's, I think, a very serious one. Sweden is one and German. But yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it off as long as possible so we can concentrate on improving our concept and doing new things in the Netherlands at the moment. But yes, we are, uh, we can go abroad as well. So I think that is status quo at this moment, uh, I think. Extremely exciting. I mean, there's so much to unpack there. Just to give a very brief, I will definitely link the earlier interview, obviously, below where we discussed the concept in great detail. But it's a group of families, about 150 to 200, that buys a farm and hires a farmer to operate it. So it's not the families that have to do the farming. It's really a farmer that has then a stable income and is producing as regeneratively as possible. I think it's about 60, 70% of the daily needs of those families when yeah. the farm is fully operating and et cetera. It, has that concept changed a lot in the last two years or is it still very much the same? It's still very much the same, but what we see is we have been concentrating on the on the regenerative aspect of producing. What we have experienced in the last four years is that it's not just the way we produce, which is important, it's also the community. We saw that already in the design of the farm in 2012, but it's very manifest at this moment that see that there is a lot of spin-off on the social side of our farm. So people who are lonely or something, uh, they get back in a new community, find new friends, find new contacts, getting a total new social life. We also see that in the community and with the farm in Boxel, for example, we are receiving, we are welcoming multiple disabled people at this moment who can come to the farm for one morning in the week to have a experience they cannot have when they stay inside etc so we are also on that kind of social aspects uh, working and what also is very special is that the koning willem 1 college in sertogenbos it's a school for to learn how to cook they became a member of the cooperative in boxel so you see that all kind of social aspects are also happening and i think that is something in addition to the concept as we discussed it in the earlier podcast so a lot of additional spin-off uh, when you yeah. look at the impact beyond the environment and obviously the fact that people eat much better food. Of course. <laughs> what I really found extremely interesting, I mean, when we met the first time, but also when we recorded the podcast, is how you tap into and utilize in a good way and facilitate local energy. So this is, all the farms are only started when there is a strong local community that does most of the earlier work and does most of the, actually the fundraising and the structure, et cetera, and, and you assist in that. It's not that you open the farms. Not true. How has that been going? Would you have a lot of them starting basically the next weeks, the next months until the end of the year, and probably yeah. a lot of them in progress as well. How are you managing all these super energetic local communities that probably want to start yesterday and, and not tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is the core of what we do, because if we do not do that, and it would be our goal to open the farm, there is a, a, a different energy within the cooperation. We wanted, we put extremely much energy. Just to be clear, you mean the cooperative? Because Sorry. To be very clear on term, terminology. Yeah, cooperative. So because the, the energy would be different when we want a specific place or when it's really by the members. 
So that's this. Most of the energy is going to, to facilitate group of groups of people who want to do this. So what we did, we standardized a process, which is never the process because it always differs from place to place, but it helps us to have a, a storyline to guide these people with towards their farm. And at the moment we have standardized it, it was, we were able to manage expectations. You know, everyone wants to start his farm tomorrow, but you have to have the soil. But more important, you have to have at least 135 up till 150 people, households, to join before you can start. And that's the reason that, that we do that, to keep loans from banks, etc. outside. We want to do it pure on the money people bring together. And when we, when we discuss this process at the beginning of, uh, at the start of an of, of initiative, we can manage the expectations very well. And what we have right now is a team uh, of nine people working uh, almost on a daily basis just on supporting these groups of people. And for these, these people uh, who are locally working on their own Hereboer farm, they of course are occupied during the day. So what our team does is spending a lot of times with these people in the evenings and in the weekends. So the effort we have to put is enormous. But on the other hand, what you see right now is that communities are finding each other. So we put a lot of effort up front. And right now there is a kind of spin-off that the communities are helping each other. They are visiting each other. How, how far are you? What are your experiences, etc. And in addition to that, Oton through the process, we organize every three months a meeting with all the board members of the local initiative. So we actively stimulate exchange of experience and knowledge. And that helps a lot. That helps a lot. But and in the end, core business at this moment for our team is communication, providing services, getting all the legislation done, the local community, the municipal, etc. So a lot to do. Do you want to learn how to invest or are you an entrepreneur and want to build companies in the regenerative food and agriculture space? Or do you work in big ag and big food and want to really move the needle? We have developed a new video course for you. Find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com slash course or in the show notes description below. And... I think that is also the reason that you're trying to hold off a bit from expansion, let's say, throughout Europe, because the circumstances change a lot and managing energy and expectation in France is very different than it is maybe in, in the Netherlands. How would you bring it to other places? I mean, it's already being pulled out of you, basically. Like, I want to start this in France. I want to start this in Sweden. How are you going to manage to make sure that they're, they're going to be a success? Okay, yeah, that's that, that's one of my main concerns, but we also have a little start for the answer because yes we want this to happen in other countries in europe the goal is still the same as it was two years ago and we thought okay when we in the netherlands are floating on local energy why would we have control in how it how processes would go in other countries so we want to have other people in other countries to bring the flow so we have as much as responsibility with people who really want to bring it to the country. Not, I want to have a farm in the country, but I want to, to scale up the Heerboer Netherlands to Heerboer France. So the, we found a couple of people, and what we're doing right now is we're negotiating on just a few principles. Like, when you work with these principles, like it is a community 
based pr principle. It's a nature inclusive farming, regenerative farming. It is you're not allowed to sell to open markets because that brings another another sentence in. Like we could sell, we could make profit. No, it's not for profit. It's for for the best food. And now we are uh, at this moment we are formulating a few of these principles. Our belief is that we, when some people in France, for example, uh, want to bring the farm concept to France, when they agree on these principles, and we have a lot of contact in sharing experiences, we don't even think we have to be in France, but we can inform each other in modern ways. So. People in France should do it in France. They should translate our concept into the France context. And when they stick to the principles, I think we have a new initiative born in another European European country. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense because you you will never be able with these principles to manage twenty countries. Or I mean, there are just just there's no way you probably want it, and no way I think that it would go well if you look at the, the social side, the cooperative side. And also the, the ecosystem side. Yeah, but 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 imagine that you to do that, you should you should know every cultural aspect. Yeah, it's impossible. It's impossible. So what we what we are looking for are people who want to bring the concept to a certain con a country. We are going to agree on a few principles. This is how you have. To, this is what you have to stick to. And please fill it in locally uh, and, and, and nationally the way it's it can fit. And that the situation in the Netherlands is totally different with this this amount of people on a uh, this little area uh, is totally different from other countries. We have a flat country, not a uh, we don't have mountains. We don't have and the problems that that you, you face at that moment. You know, there there are so many different aspects that well, local people should should do that, not us. So we think we this is the way we're going to do. And in terms of the farming part of things, you have one older farm operating already for a while. I would love to hear how that is going because there were some very challenging summers actually in the, in the Netherlands with huge drought and too much rain, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, very, very warm if you look at climate change. And then how are you doing things differently with in the designing? And because you learned probably a lot from that first farm in the new farms that are operating now or, or opening now. So how, how is the farming going? Yeah. Well, the, the beauty of the design is that there are so much, much different products that when one specific kind of vegetable, for example, is is failing and there is no harvest, there is always another piece you can offer your members. No, that's the actually we are producing too much. <laughs> that's on the one hand. So yes, there was a lot of drought. Luckily, we have water, at least in Boxel and in, in the farm in Loon, also open right now. But Apuldoor is also able to put to pump up the water from the ground from deeper layers. We gained a license for that. And that's the way we drought is not the problem. The actual problem is the amount of UV light in uh, during the day. Because that burns uh, really uh, not a lot, but especially certain vegetables are more sensitive for that than others. And yes, so there, there are failures in the yield. Yes, and we learned from that. And one thing we learned, for example, looking at lettuce, for example, we were trying to keep the herbs around the lettuce away. You know, we were constantly shuffling, etc. And there was this insight a couple of years ago that we thought, hey, we are on a sandy soil. We are taking away all the herbs to have just the lettuce growing in the soil. 
And then what, what happens is that that sandy soil, with a little blown of wind, is also, uh, yeah, we're losing it. So we should keep it there. So is there a possibility to have other products growing underneath the lettuce? And before we start thinking of an edible plant or something, we started not taking away herbs. Beneficial herbs or weeds or what we consider? I mean, weeds. Weeds, yeah, weeds, very, weeds. weeds is a very sensitive discussion because some people say there are no weeds. Some others are obviously very, very against weeds. And, and so it's a, it, it depends on the context. Yeah. But at anything, something you, you considered you didn't want, like you, you previously. Exactly. And let's, let's name them weeds for, I, I don't, <laughs> let's, but, but what we did is we didn't remove them anymore. And we saw that the microclimate around the, the lettuce was was improving because lettuce doesn't need that much sun as they would have when we well, when in the way we did before. And we, we see that the lettuce is growing very, very, very nice within the weeds, in between the weeds. So we we, we are discovering how can we produce in cooperation with weeds, etc., instead of having a lot of labor removing them. And that helps a lot. You know, microclimate thinking around product helps us a lot to understand what, what its needs are, but also how to become more driven by nature, you know? So we are, uh, two things, water is, we are at this moment still able to get to bring water to the vegetables, for example, but that we are also preparing for a long-term situation, what if not? So one of the goals is that we could keep as much water on the farm as possible, uh, water from rain, etc. We want to, to buffer it so we can use it for later moments when there is less. And the other hand, learning about microclimates around vegetables and the role weeds can play. And two things I remember, it was very difficult to find farmers that are able to, to manage all these different circumstances that are able to manage animals regeneratively and holistically, that are able to manage microclimates of, of lettuce. How has that been going on? Because you need a lot of them if you have six or seven farms operating at, at the end of the year. Yeah, we, uh, about October last year, so about a year ago, we started our own course. So we developed together with, with the University of Applied Science here in the Netherlands. We developed a course and this course is up and running right now. So we have first group, just 10 farmers as a pilot. So they're almost for a year with us and uh, next October, maybe November, the next group will start. So we see little by little, it's hard to find real, to find the best farmers for this concept. It's hard to find them, but when we find them, we have to train them. That's the reason this course has been developed. And it's, it's little by little, we, we, we can discover. You're training your, your own farmers here. Yeah. And how is it going with animals on the farm? I remember you being very deliberate about certain types of animals that had to be able to do most of the things themselves and the role within this 20 hectare farm. How has it been so far? Well, actually, because there is so much to do in the farm, the development of the real integration of the animal as a, a co-worker on the farm is going little by little. But yes, it works like our chickens are really good helpers right now in the orchards, but it also brings, brings some challenges. We have the fox still around the farm and of course, when the chickens are outside, it's really easy to get your evening dinner uh, as a fox. So we are looking for other animals to support us in defending our chickens from the fox. And what we did, what we would have done right now is, for example, introduce uh, gooses. Is that the right word? Yeah. 
They're used as uh, as guardian guardian exactly. animals, not not dogs, obviously guardian animals on, on farms. Yeah, exactly. So what we did, we, we introduced them in our system, and it seems uh, helpful and seems to work. So what we do is constantly thinking of what can we add to our system, also add as animals into our system to cope the problems and do, uh, we're, we are facing. And this is a beautiful example. I, uh, we also started developing what we call our X caravan. <laughs> we are going to leave the system of a vast, stable place on the farm where the pigs are living. We are really bringing them around with this pigs caravan. So moving from a chicken caravan that obviously many people in the region egg space have to a pig yeah, caravan. Exactly. Yeah, it will be a good thing for you to see. And we're building, uh, we're having this, this, this group of people who are designing it. And uh, what is the pig's caravan needed for? Well, actually, you do not want your, you want to offer a kind of shelter, not really necessary because they can also live outside. But okay, we want to offer some shelter. And on the other hand, we have this delivery room <laughs> need, you know, where can they bring little pigs in this world? And we think when we can do that, Within the caravan, there is a possibility for our members to, to also to see how that works, you know, so they can see the little pigs and the mama, etc. We want to do that in the caravan. In addition on the, uh, to the caravan, we have this mobile fence to keep the pigs within a certain area of the farm so that they are not running over the fresh vegetables who needs to be harvested. So this caravan helps us by controlling where the pigs are. But not too much because they have to live their own life on farm. That's, that's another aspect. So we see that we are constantly thinking and developing, and we also find some inspiration all over the world, watching YouTube or, or other media, social media, as well, to be informed how other farmers in the world are dealing with it. So it's not just us inventing stuff; we're also translating what we see into our content. And let's spend the last few minutes of this podcast because I know you have a hard stop and I want to be conscious of your time on the soil fund. So you mentioned it briefly at the beginning, but let's dive into that a bit deeper. You've been working on that. One of the key aspects of the Heerenboeren is that the land is either bought or secured for a very long time, but it's, if it's bought, it's never going to be sold. So the business model of a, a traditional farm in many cases, unfortunately, is selling their land at some point. And hopefully for more than they bought it, and maybe that's their pension, et cetera. But this created a huge amount of issues in terms of inflated land prices and mainly for young farmers, uh, extremely difficult to get into the space. You are going into a completely different direction, but at the same time, you still need land, obviously, to a long-term land because you're building the soil to operate Heerenboer and farms on. So can you explain a bit about the rationale behind the soil fund and how it's actually coming to life now? True. Okay. Let me remark this to begin with. There is a difference between ownership of land and access to land. And we are really thinking from the access strategy, how can we access land and how can we improve that that land for, in a way, the seventh generation after us still can work on the land and have food from the land. And yes, speculation here in the Netherlands, at least, brings the ownership of land the consequence is that there are there is really short-term access for particular farmers to land because it helps the owner of the land to keep to, to make short-term arrangements, uh, short-term arrangements. So after every uh, arrangement, you can 
come up with a new arrangement with a higher price. You know, you can every time you skip, you can you can increase the price. So that is killing also for us, but also for what you just mentioned, this farmers trying to continue the farm. So access to land is something else than ownership of land. And ownership of land brings strong senses, incentives. That's what we think. So we this this aspect of access one way or another on another, you have to be able to have land to provide access. When you have land, you have how do you get it? Yeah, you have to buy it. So we were thinking of this fund, which would be able to buy land and never resell it again. We started first in it with our own initiative, but in the end, we found a partner in the Netherlands who exists already 40 years. It is a foundation called over here, but they are for 40 years providing the biodynamic farmers with, with soil, uh, and their goal is to never sell it again. Okay, so there is a partner already existing. The big changes that, that they had to make was that we, as Irbu, are not specific biodynamic farmers. Could be, but not not specific. Organic, pure organic, is what we do, and in addition, we try to do it regenerative. So we are not biodynamic. So they had to make this choice. Are we going to work with Irbu Netherlands as a partner, because then we have to make a choice to not be biodynamic uh, specifically anymore. And they made that choice. They, we were able to make that choice. So we, at this moment, we have a partner, and we are have been inviting wealthy families, uh, family funds, etc., to invest in the in the in the fund. And yes, we have made our first deal. So there is a family investing in the fund. We have bought the land. The land from farm in Weert, province of Limburg, and the first 12 hectares have been bought. A little farmhouse is still on there. It's also bought, and so the community in Weert is hiring the land from this foundation. And we also have a role as Heerenboeren in the Netherlands to keep the continuity of the farming. So we have made this triangle agreement, and we can work together at that with it. So. The investor does receive between one and a half and two point four percent interest, so it's quite different because the soil is here under the under the investment, and we can provide land forever to invest farmer at that moment. And of course, first we're looking at our own farmers, our own farms. So actually, after a year, one and a half negotiation is searching and trial and error, this partner was, at the end, the best option and the most simple way to fill in our, our needs and our wishes. And, and is it a, did they set up a separate fund for you? Are they managing that or is it in their normal portfolio? It's incorporated in their own business. Yeah, it's incorporated in the normal portfolio. Okay. And the investor invests specifically in a specific piece of land or invests in the overall portfolio? Well, at this moment, you can choose both. Okay. The beauty of Weert is that we found an investor especially for that piece of soil. So it's beautiful that we can connect people really to the soil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Invest in that piece of soil. And that's, but yeah, there, it's also possible to invest just on the, the principle and to know that there is soil, that soil will be bought somewhere with the right treatment. And would it be accessible? for the local communities as well, as they are obviously investing 
I think it was 2,000 euros per household to set up the farm, but not to buy it. What's the minimum? Would they be also invited to not only help fund the setup of the farm, but also actually to buy the land of their farm? Yeah, that's exactly the topic we're working on right now. So that uh, this is the next thing to develop. We really want them, we want to invite them to invest and not only the members of the farm, but also the people around the farm, not necessarily being a member of the farm. So we want to be, we want to, to work on this dialogue between neighbors and farmers. Like, okay, when I own the land, we can negotiate on how our land is treated. So farmer, we think these, these are important topics like biodiversity or soil improvement, etc. So the concept we're working on is that households can invest in the, it's not the pure ownership of soil, it's the rights resting on the soil. The ownership is still in the fund, but they have the rights to, to set up, to choose the farmer, to choose the concept, etc., etc. But not necessarily just the members of the farm. And so we're working, and of course, we want to have much as Hidewood Farms on community-owned land. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those missing pieces, and one of the things it's hardly ever discussed. I think it's an extremely time-consuming and difficult topic: ownership of land. But something we have to work on, we have to look at if we want this movement to succeed. Just as community ownership of farms, which is might be a bit faster than land, but yeah, the land the land ownership topic is. Uh, is one of those elephants in the room that keeps coming back. Yeah, exactly. We are referring to that as becoming ground. Which is a huge, huge topic. I, I want to be conscious of your time here. I know you have to go. I want to thank you so much for, for this check-in interview two years after. I promise not to make it another two years before we're checking in again, because I think <laughs> it seems like everything is speeding up now, which means that in a couple of months or in a year, there will be for sure more than half an hour of updates to share. But thank you for your time uh, this morning. And Actually, something to mention, the King of the Netherlands will visit your farm or the first farm you <laughs> operate opened uh, next week. So by the time this is out, we might be able to share some pictures of that for all the Dutch people, because anybody outside, uh, I don't think really cares. Um, but it's, uh, it's quite a big <laughs> moment in, uh, in, in the Netherlands, I can assure you. So congratulations with that. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Geert and learned something about their soil investment plans and how important local energy and ownership is in the regenerative food and agriculture revolution. If you found the Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food podcast valuable, there are a few simple ways you can use to support it. Number one, rate and review the podcast on your podcast app. That's the best way for other listeners to find the podcast and it only takes a few seconds. Number two, share this podcast on social media or email it to your friends and colleagues. Number three, if this podcast has been of value to you, and if you have the means, please join my Patreon community to help grow this platform and allow me to take it further. You can find all the details on patreon.com slash regenerative agriculture or in the description below. Thank you so much and see you at the next podcast.